0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit SojournMontrose.org. Okay, so we just read in Acts chapter 1, the event of the ascension, right? What does it say? It says, so when they had come together, they... Being Jesus' followers at this time, they asked him a question. They said, Lord Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And most sermons focus right there, right? But there's more to it. It says in verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, (laughs) I want us to think about this just for a second, right? What has taken place up to this point in Jesus' life? Jesus has been alive after his resurrection now for 40 days. That's like a significant amount of time. Like, that's enough time to kind of get used to Jesus being around, right? Like, when people come to visit you, uh, they come and they stay for maybe a week, and you're like, okay, like, I'm ready for them to go, right? I'd like for my bathroom to be my bathroom again, right? I'd like for my house to smell like me again and not somebody else, right? I, all, Jesus has been with them now for 40 days. And all of a sudden, while in Jerusalem, Jesus promises his followers that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. Okay, great. Sounds good, you know? Like whatever you say, Jesus, you you were dead, you rose again, and now you're here among us and you're going to send us the Spirit. That sounds great. But almost immediately after he says those words, what happens? Jesus is lifted up in a cloud into the sky and he's taken from view. It says they they don't see him anymore. Now again, just like just put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' followers for a moment. Imagine this roller coaster that they've been riding now for at least two months. Jesus, in the matter of less than two months, has triumphantly entered Jerusalem, right? To all the praise and the acclaim. Hosanna in the highest. He's been put on trial. He was then beaten, scourged, crucified, buried, resurrected, and now has been among them performing miracles, teaching, and now He's just gone. He's gone up into the clouds. What? Like if we watched that movie, you'd be like, surely it's not over yet, right? This can't be the end of the movie. And so all of them are asking that same question. They're just looking at each other, going, "What? Well, what? What just happened?" And it tells us that they're gazing into the sky. Verse ten: While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. I mean, imagine, imagine this from the the inner circle of of, of Jesus. Imagine Peter. Like, hey, Peter, like. You, you got anything? Jesus is gone. What do you got? And Peter's like, nope, I, got, I have nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Thomas is over in the corner and he's like, I could try doubting again. Maybe he'll come back, right? Uh, nothing. And so, of course, they just stand there and stare. Don't know, we don't know what to do. utter confusion, and then these two men in the white robes speak to them and they say this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Which, like, at first glance, that question's just kind of rude to me. Like, like. Give me a minute to process what just happened, right? But, but these two men say, why do you stand looking into heaven? And then they say these words. They say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into where? Into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And again, I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, this isn't enough information. What does that even mean? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And if we dissect that sentence a little bit, we begin to get some answers, some some clues, some hints to our question of if Jesus is risen and if he is alive right now, where is he? Well, he's in heaven. That that's where he went. That that's where he is now, which leads us to, I think, the the most important question, which is, what what does that mean for us? Well, later on in Acts chapter 2, Peter, inspired by the Spirit, uh, actually sheds a little bit more light on what it is that's happened here. And so in chapter 2, starting in verse 32, this is what we come to find out as Peter preaches his first And maybe his best sermon. He says this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. And then he says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he says this, which if you were here for our First Samuel series, might link some things together. He says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what does the ascension mean? What does it mean that Jesus now resides in heaven? What does it mean that not only does He reside in heaven, but that He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father? That that's where He sits now? Peter tells us it means that Jesus has been made Lord. And not just Lord of some things, or not just Lord of heaven, but Lord over all things. That All of it has been made, as Psalm 110 says, quoted from David, made his footstool. So God has subdued all of Jesus' enemies and made them subject to him. So the ascension is important because what's happened is Jesus has assumed the throne. He's taken his rightful place. And so what that means is that Jesus is right now reigning on a real throne, the throne of the universe, and he is reigning there, brothers and sisters, in his resurrected and ascended human body. And what does he do from that throne? Well, Jesus gave us some hints of his own in John. So Jesus ascended to the throne as the Lord over all of creation, now rightfully assuming His place, reigning and ruling over all things. What does He do from that place? Well, in John 12, Jesus says this, Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, namely Satan. And then He says this, And I, when I am what? Lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. All kinds of people to myself. So what does Jesus do from this great and heavenly throne? Well, he draws people to himself. What else? John 14. Jesus continues this line of thinking. He says this. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now this is before he's crucified. Right so he's preparing his disciples for something. He says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, if that were not true, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Would I lie?" He continues, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Later on, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So again, Jesus' ascension means that Jesus is reigning on a real throne in his resurrected and ascended human body and that from that place he is drawing all kinds of people to himself and he is preparing a place for him where he do, a place for them where he dwells right now. Now why is it important? Why do I keep bringing up the fact that Jesus is ascended? Which is important in and of itself, but that he's ascended in his human body. Well, since a truly human Jesus has ascended to heaven, human beings can now also ascend there. In fact, he plans to take us there. That's why he's preparing a place for us. And so, the hope of those of us this morning who are in Christ is that eventually we also will not only be resurrected but that we will ascend to where Jesus is. 2 Corinthians deals with that in chapter 5. But finally, and maybe most importantly, the ascension proves that the sacrifice of Christ is finished and that it has been accepted by God. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus has passed through the heavens and that he has entered the presence of God. Hebrews 6.20 which is described as the inner sanctuary of a heavenly temple. And having brought a single once for all sacrifice to God, Jesus sits down showing that no repetition of his sacrifice is necessary. And so, brothers and sisters, there's a lot happening in the ascension. There's a lot that's going on there. There's Jesus taking his throne. There's Jesus from his throne, drawing all kinds of people to himself, preparing a place for them with him and proving by His station that God has accepted all that He has done on our behalf, that His sacrificial death for us, that His victorious resurrection on our behalf, that all of that has been satisfactory in God's eyes and that now He is exalted according to that satisfaction. And listen, brothers and sisters, these are all great truths and there's many more that we could discuss but i want to i want to land somewhere that maybe we maybe we aren't anticipating this morning because it's something that we don't often think about you see i mentioned at the beginning that for many of us for many of us christianity offers a way to deal with our past failures or a way to be less anxious about our future reality. Right? So everything that's in my past, everything that I've done, all the good and the bad, God's going to weigh that ultimately in light of Jesus and I will be found perfect, not because of me, but because Jesus was perfect for me. And so everything that's in my past, all of the darkness, all the regrets, all the guilt, all the shame, all of those things have been dealt with in Jesus. And so I can finally be freed from those realities. I can finally let go of that guilt. I can finally be freed of that shame knowing that Jesus took it for me, that Jesus bore the consequences for those things, and that Jesus has died to set me free from them. And that's good news. And for some of us, we, we look to our future and we realize that there's all kinds of unknowns. And, and the reality is, brothers and sisters, that in the age that we currently live in, there might be even more. We're so aware of everything that's happening globally. There's so many things geopolitically that are up in the air at the moment, right? And hopefully won't be coming down from the air. Studies show that millennials, uh, on the whole, are the most anxious generation in modern American history. Now, there's a whole bevy of reasons that people say that that's true. And so we could talk about any number of nuanced things. But again, the reality is that there is something out in front of us that we are trying to cope with. And again, Jesus is dwelling there, right? He's in that future. He's promised us this great inheritance. He's promised that he'll take us with him into eternity. He's promised all of these things, right? But, but for most of us, those things are out in the future. And so we're going, man, that's, that's coming and that's good news. Um, but, but how do I deal with the right now? Right, Christ has made payment for my sin, and Christ is going to bring me to a better place. But how do I deal with right now? How do we allow Christ to also give us peace, not only in considering the past or in looking to the future, but in dealing with our reality right now? In this very moment, in all of the problems that face us in the immediate brothers and sisters, it's my contention this morning that there is comfort for us right now in Christ and that in particular, it comes to us when we look at the truth of His ascension. This utterly neglected doctrine in the Christian faith is quite possibly the most sustaining doctrine, meaning the one that is most able to carry us in the right now. That's why Jesus further on in John 14 says these words. He says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. There's that that word again. There's that phrase again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away. And I will come to you. And this is the... maybe maybe one of the crazier sentences that Jesus speaks of the many that we just for whatever reason have have tended to pass over. And this is what he says. He says, If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. What? What? Jesus says to his disciples, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm leaving you. Why? Because I go to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. Now again, we know in the ascension, we know from the ascension, right, that that's where Jesus is now, that he's he's gone to the Father. And so if we love Jesus, we should rejoice that he's with the Father. Why? Because the Father is greater than Jesus. But maybe if we knew what Jesus was doing there, we might actually rejoice. And that's why I want to pick up in Hebrews chapter 7 as we come to a close. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, the author to the Hebrews, uh, of this letter to the Hebrews says uh, this, this odd phrase. He says, For it is written, or it is witnessed of him, of Jesus that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we go, yeah, number one, can't pronounce the name. Second of all, I have no idea what that name means, so we'll just keep reading, right? But no, 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 no. This is super important. Hebrews tells us that Jesus resembles that he is after the order of Melchizedek, this historical figure. And if you do any research on Melchizedek, you'll come to know this one very simple thing, that he occupied two offices that typically No one person would occupy. He was both a king and he was a priest. So he was both someone who ruled and reigned and governed, but he was also someone who served and sustained a people. Verse 22 of that same chapter goes on to explain why this is important. It says in verse 22, "...this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant." The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He, Jesus, holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest like Jesus, who is holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. Why? Because once for all he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son, Jesus, who has been made perfect forever." So what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus, in his ascension, not only ascended to reign as our king, but also to act as our priest there, to sustain us from that kingly station, to bend down as king and to serve us, to nourish us, to encourage us in his word, to sustain us in this life. He serves us as a priest. What does he do as a priest? Well, there's two really, really comforting things. In verse 25, it tells us that because He is a priest exalted, so because He is ascended and He is a priest in that ascended place, that He is able to save to the uttermost. Brothers and sisters, that is a present hope. Like that is a present hope for right Now that we have, you see, if we are the source of our anxieties, Jesus is saving to the uttermost those who draw near. So if we're the source of our anxieties, rather than running away from God in order to fix them so we can come back, we can rather run to God because it's those who draw near to Him that He saves. Where? To the uttermost. I want to know what God defines as uttermost. He saves to the uttermost those who draw near from His ascension throne. But what else does He do? He not only saves to the uttermost those who draw near, meaning as we draw near to God, He saves us from all things both in our past, in our present, and in our future to the uttermost, but that He also is actively in that place where He is dwelling right now at the right hand of the Father always says He lives to make intercession for those who draw near to Him. Meaning if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, That Jesus lives right now for a specific purpose and it is the purpose of making intercession for you. Brothers and sisters, this is a present hope that we have. Because if our anxieties are outside of us, surrounding us, Jesus is making intercession for you. How comforting should it be? How comforting should it be to know that the Jesus that died, rose again, and is now ascended to the right hand of God the Father, the only one who is greater than him, is in that place speaking prayers, both his prayers and your prayers, directly into the ear of God the Father. that your prayers when you speak them they're not just landing in some ethereal space but there's a real throne room where those where those prayers are backed by the authority of Jesus where those prayers are completed by His all-knowing omniscience, right? Where those things that you left out or forgot to pray about or didn't have words to give to that prayer, that He completes those prayers for you and then delivers them to God. That those prayers are heard then according to the mercy and the grace of Jesus, not according to your performance. How comforting should that be? Brothers and sisters, it's in those two realities that we can really and truly, in all of our anxieties, run to Jesus, not away from Him. In fact, that's ultimately what all of our suffering is meant to do, to push us towards the throne room that we are now able to enter into by the sacrificial blood of Jesus. This place in the temple where no human could go. Jesus now lives there and He invites us to come in whenever we want. We have this access to God. We have this access to God's grace and to God's ongoing care because Jesus is ascended. And that should be astounding for us. The cross secures our past, the resurrection secures our future, but the ascension sustains our present. Because Jesus is actively now partaking of the ministry of sustaining us. Which is why in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 17 we get this particular encouragement. And you're going to have to forgive me. My iPad decided not to work. So I'm going to have to find it. Um... tells us that Jesus is ascended for us, that He was manifested in the flesh, that He was vindicated by the Spirit, that He was seen by angels, that He was proclaimed among the nations, that He was believed on in the world, and then that He was taken up in glory. Paul says, we confess this mystery of godliness. And then he tells us that we are to encourage one another with these things. Namely, that Jesus' ascension should be and is an ongoing, ongoing encouragement to Jesus' people because, precisely because, it is in that place, it is in glory Where he is right now acting as our priest. And so brothers and sisters, it's my hope, it's my prayer that we will take hold of the truths of the ascension. Of the glory that we behold in this ascension. and that we would be sustained in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life, that we would see that Christ truly brings us peace in the immediate. And so when we greet one another with, peace be with you, we are giving a real and a present hope and greeting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Again, God, we're grateful to be gathered together. And Lord, we ask that you would sustain us. Lord, one of your sustaining graces is to invite us to your table to eat and drink in your name. To rejoice, Father, that in your broken body and shed blood you would make provision for us. You tell us to do this often because you mean to sustain us in it. And so, Lord... We ask you to do that. We know that only you can. And Father, we do look forward to our future glory. That moment when First Thessalonians tells us that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with you in the clouds. To meet you there. So that we will always be with you. And Lord, we encourage one another in light of those things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.